Morning. Hey guys, my name's Nick and I have the privilege of reading God's Word tonight. We are in Acts chapter 8, verse 26 to 39, and I'm told it is found on page 1099. Please tell me if that is accurate. Is that it? Is it 1099? Yes, cool. Awesome. So from verse 26 of chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come in and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave the orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again. But he went on his way rejoicing. Thank you much, uh, Nick. And uh, let me extend uh, Aaron's welcome uh, to you from me as well. Uh, a very warm welcome to you guys, especially if you're like the gentleman and his lovely wife, uh, he says, who's just walked in off the street. If you're new tonight, uh, especially big welcome. My name's Ben. I'm one of the um, assistant ministers here. It's wonderful to be with you uh, on this Sunday night. Let me pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, please would you give us eyes to see and hearts to understand what you would have us see and understand from your word tonight. We ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. I got a little uh, confession to make. Uh, This week I've been smashing a whole ton of podcasts by this guy, uh, a guy called Jordan Peterson. Hands up if you've heard of Jordan Peterson. Yeah, okay, Why? Uh, not many. Why I say a confession is because, for those who have heard of him, uh, you know he's very divisive. Uh, so I don't, by any means, want to endorse his project and what he's on about. Uh, but I actually think that he says some absolutely fascinating things. And one of them is this. He says, in the world today, the biggest cause of conflict is not religion, it's tribalism. Now, um, the reason, one of the reasons he says that, he says, well, look at chimpanzees. Chimpanzees fight. Um, they're not religious, he adds, but they're tribalistic. And I thought, hmm, that's very interesting. So I jumped onto uh, a website, Psychology Today. You can tell me later if that's not a credible website if you're a psychologist. And, and I read an article about tribalism. And uh, really, the article was talking about what does it mean to have healthy community? 
And what the article uh, says is basically this. Let me just paraphrase or sum it up. It says, one of our greatest needs is to belong. All right, so none of us can be alone. Sorry, introverts, um, you cannot spend all of your time by yourself. It's not good for you. It's not healthy. We need community. But on the other hand, we can't be tribalistic. We can't be bigots, if you like. We can't be so attached to a group that we start creating tribalistic barriers on the basis of race or age or gender or class. In other words, we can't exclude people from our communities because when that happens, that's when people start talking about us and them. It starts, we start thinking, oh, I'm, we're superior, you're inferior, and that's what leads to bigotry and tribalism, and that's also bad for society. So instead, um, the article really just um, argues for healthy community is healthy belonging. And that is, we need to be a member of a, of a group of close people where we're appreciated and respected and cared for. We need to belong to a community that's inclusive and not exclusive on the basis of tribalistic barriers. So I guess the question is, where do we find uh, such a community? Well, the answer is, the best place to find such a community is the church. Uh, Now, just to clarify, I'm not talking about the church when it's behaving badly. I'm not talking about the church uh, on Crusades uh, or Westboro Baptist Church, if you've heard of them. I'm talking about when the church is being the people God calls us to be, that's where we find healthy, transformed belonging. So if you're new uh, to Samats, we're in the middle of a series on transformed lives. Uh, And tonight, uh, in this passage from Acts chapter 8, we're going to talk about two people whose lives were so radically transformed by Jesus, uh, and they came to understand uh, a transformed understanding of what it means to belong to his church. So if you're um, taking notes, these are going to be our three headings tonight. When you're transformed by Jesus, you're brought in. When you're transformed by Jesus, you break barriers down. And thirdly, when you're transformed by Jesus, you bring others in. Okay, so when you're transformed by Jesus, you're brought in, you break barriers down, and you bring others in. So first of all, you're brought in. I wonder, um, have you ever been on the outside looking in? You know what I mean. Maybe you, you weren't picked for that team in high school. Maybe you missed out on that course at uni, uh, maybe all your peers uh, got promoted at work, but you didn't. Uh, maybe all your friends are dating uh, and you remain single. Maybe your friends are married and with kids, but you remain childless. Maybe you have children, but they've shut you out of their lives. Maybe all your friends on Facebook seem to be living happy and exciting lives, but your life just seems hard and painful and boring. Well, when you're on the outside looking in, it is painful, isn't it? Even if you have uh, the rest of your life in order, you know, you might have a wonderful job and a great house and a car and all that sort of stuff, but when you're on the outside looking in to something that you value, your life can be incredibly unsatisfying. And I think that's actually what we see here in this story, in the life of the Ethiopian eunuch. Have a look with me. If you've lost the page, uh, we're on page 1099, as we confirmed with Nick. And have a look with me at verse 27. Okay, so here it says, Philip met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaki, 
which means queen of the Ethiopians. Uh, by the way, the word uh, here that's used uh, for Ethiopia probably actually refers to ancient Kush. Uh, so that's um, somewhere around modern day Sudan. And what's interesting as we see here in this passage is that this guy seems to have his life together. So first, look with me. It's, it, the, the passage tells us the man was powerful. So he, it says he was a treasurer of a decent-sized nation. Secondly, it says he was religious. Uh, so verse 27 says that this man had gone uh, to Jerusalem to worship. And third, it says he was rich. Verse 28 uh, says he was sitting in a chariot reading Isaiah the prophet. Uh, so by the way, in those days, you probably can imagine, chariots are very expensive uh, and hardly anyone uh, had their own scrolls uh, to carry around and read for themselves when they're like commuting. Uh, so... This obviously indicates to us that it was, uh, very, he was very wealthy. And also, I wonder if you noticed in verse 38, uh, it, it says he has servants because he gave orders, uh, presumably to his servants, to stop the chariot. So he was powerful, he was religious, he was rich. Ladies, if you're not married, this is the kind of guy that, you know, your mom's going to nudge you about and nag you about. Oh, what about him? You know, what more could you want in a man? Well, there was something missing. In fact, we could say some things. You see, verse 27, it says, this man was a eunuch. Now, for you guys over here, uh, what that means is someone had cut off his born-again ability to have children, okay? So he wasn't able to have kids. Now, that might sound crazy, right? Why would you let uh, someone do that to you? Uh, Well, in the ancient world, you see, if you weren't a royal uh, and you wanted to rise to the highest levels of power, that was the sacrifice you had to make, right? So this guy was successful, uh, but at a great cost, at a great sacrifice. But the question is, was he satisfied? Well, you can tell a lot about a person, uh, where they like to spend their holidays. Uh, Bruce, for example, the senior minister here, likes to go fishing and surfing. Uh, what about this guy here? Uh, where does he like to go for his holidays? Well, I was um, mucking around Uh, with some uh, Google Maps yesterday. And by my calculations, um, the sort of distance between this guy's capital city and Jerusalem was perhaps 2,800 kilometers as the roads go. I'm not sure if that's correct. But in any case, I imagine with his retinue, it might have taken about two months to get there. Now, let's say he didn't just stay for the night. Let's say he stayed for about a month. Uh, Perhaps he was there for a festival celebration, that kind of thing. That's five months off right? Five months leave. Is Bruce actually in the building uh, tonight? No, okay. I think the next, uh, next up the hierarchy here in church is Councillor Steph Knowles. Is Steph here? Yeah, Steph. All right, Steph, I got a question for you. Um, Can I have five uh, months paid leave to go on a pilgrimage uh, to Jerusalem? And can you just hold my job for me while I'm gone? Uh, I don't think so. No, I think you're right. And I think that's exactly what Bruce would say. Now, see, this guy, he goes to Jerusalem at the risk of his career. Why would he do that? Well, I think it's because he'd heard of the God of Israel. He'd heard that this God had led his people through the Red Sea. Right? He'd heard that God had smashed the nations of Canaan. He'd heard that this God was also a compassionate and gracious God. And so he believed what he'd heard. He, he believed that among the gods, there is no God like Yahweh. 
And so he went to Jerusalem to worship. Or you might say he went to Jerusalem because he wanted to be brought in. But did they let him in? Well, no. You see, at the center of the Jewish worship in Jerusalem was the temple. And there's a little map, bird's eye view of the temple. And in one sense, you can see there perhaps that the temple was actually a series of concentric circles. So at the very center of the temple was the most holy place. And that was the epicenter, if you like, of God's presence on earth. Only the high priest could go in there once a year and only with the blood of a lamb to make atonement for the sins of the people. Now the next uh, circle out, if you like, uh, was the court of priests, uh, sorry, the main part of the temple, uh, and only the priests could go there, in there. And likewise, the court of the priests, where the sacrifices were offered on the altar. The next circle was the court of Israel, uh, where only men who were Jewish could go. And the next circle out was the court of women. And then finally, the last circle out was the court of Gentiles. And at best, that's where the only place where the eunuch uh, would have been allowed to go. So um, they, they actually, archaeologists found this stone, uh, which would have sat, I think, probably on the gates between the court of the Gentiles and the inner courts of the temple, and it read this, No foreigner may enter, otherwise death will ensue. So this man, this eunuch, was excluded as a foreigner, Uh, But not only that, he was excluded as a eunuch because the law says that no one who has been castrated may enter the assembly of the Lord. Right, so here's this this, this guy, he's made this massive journey to Jerusalem uh, at great personal cost and he's excluded. It'd be like, uh, imagine you rode your bike from uh, Perth to Sydney all the way down to Manly because you really wanted to hear uh, Dave sing and you really wanted to hear Bruce preach. And you get here and, and when you arrive, uh, the doors are shut, all right? And outside, there's, there's Miguel, if you know Miguel, the bouncer, you know, <laughs> when we need a bouncer, get Miguel to be a bouncer. And Miguel turns you away and he says, members only, all right? How are you going to feel at that point? All this distance, you're going to be devastated. You see, the eunuch had traveled all that way, and yet he was on the outside looking in. And I'm sure he would have gone home disappointed. And that's where and why this story is such good news for him, what happens to him in the story. You see, uh, when Jesus died and rose again, a new era had dawned. In the old era... Belonging to the people of God meant you had to be an ethnic Jew, right? Or you had to become a part of the Jewish people through circumcision and obedience to the law. Uh, But now, in the new era, you can belong to the people of God irrespective of your race or your nation. And the way you belong is that you have to believe, right? That's it. And so the eunuch in this story, he does believe. Have a look with me at verse 35. Uh, Philip explained the good news about Jesus. And then the eunuch believes because verse 36, he says, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Let me just explain. Baptism is not just a sign 
that you believe, uh, it's also a sign that you belong. You belong to God's family. Uh, And so in verse 36, the eunuch's not just asking, Philip, can you confirm that I believe? He's also asking, can you confirm that I belong? You see? And Philip says, heck yeah. Uh, And they get down out of the chariot, they go down to the water, and Philip baptizes the eunuch. And that's why verse 39, it says, the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. What just happened in the story? Well, I think the eunuch knows exactly what happened. You see, on such a long journey with the, you know, the Isaiah scroll rolled out in front of him, the eunuch would have surely read. It might have even been on the same page as what he was reading here from Isaiah 53. He surely would have read Isaiah 56. And have a listen to what it says. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord said to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. The Lord says to them, I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Let me just point out in the ancient world, the way you had a name that was everlasting was you had sons. Your sons carried on your name and they had sons who carried on your name and so on and so forth. And you see, this guy was physically cut off and so his name was cut off as well. It would not be everlasting And this is what the Ethiopian suddenly realizes here in the story. When he believed in Jesus and when he baptized, he suddenly realized, that's me. He is the foreigner who was no longer excluded. He is the eunuch who received a name better than sons and daughters. You see, he received the name of Jesus. And through Jesus, he had received sonship and adoption into God's very own family. You see, he was no longer on the outside looking in. He was brought all the way into the most holy place, to the very center of the life of God. I, uh, I heard a story this week. I'm not 100% sure it's true, but don't let truth get in the way of a good story because uh, it illustrates the point well. Uh, apparently, there was a soldier during the U.S. Civil War uh, who, in that war, his father and brother died. Uh, and so he was the only one um, left uh, to look after the family farm uh, who, where his mother and sister were. Uh, and so the soldiers applied uh, to be, uh, the soldier applied to be discharged from the army, but the application was denied. And so the only way he could appeal that and, and get uh, approval to leave was from President Abraham Lincoln in the White House. So the soldier went to the White House, but the guards wouldn't let him in. So the soldier went away sobbing, and there in the gardens on his way out, there was a little boy, and he says, Sir, why are you crying? And so the soldier told him, and immediately the little boy grabbed the soldier's hand, and he he took him back to the entrance. And when the soldiers saw the little boy, they um, lifted up their muskets, and he walked through. Together they walked through. Together they walked past one set of guards. Together they walked past another set of guards. Together they walked past the third set of guards all the way into the very center of the White House, where they went to the library where the president was. And when the president saw the two of them, he looked up from his papers, and the little boy said, Father, 
please would you hear this man's story? And apparently Lincoln said, yes, son, I will. And you see, when you believe the gospel, when you're joined to Jesus by faith, you see you're brought all the way in. And the Apostle Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. He says, through Jesus, we have access to the Father by one Spirit. In other words, through Jesus, we've been brought into the most holy place, as it were. We've been brought relationally into the very life of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're included in that dynamic life. And that kind of access the Jews could only dream of. We're now included through faith in Jesus. Isn't that marvelous? All right, that's point number one. Point number two. Uh, So point number one was, if you believe the gospel, you're brought all the way in. Point number two is you break barriers down. I wonder if you noticed in this passage, God gives Philip one key command. Do you know what it is? He says, go. All right, verse 26, an angel of the Lord tells Philip, go to the road. Verse 28, the spirit tells Philip, go to that chariot. Why does God have to tell Philip to go? Well, because really essentially what God is doing, he's saying, Philip, Get out of your comfort zone. All right, you see, Philip was a Jew, and so before he was transformed by Jesus, he would have thought like any other Jew. He would have thought that all Gentiles were unclean. He would have thought that if he ate with a Gentile, if he sat with a Gentile, he too would have been unclean. All right, so here's Philip. He's a Middle Eastern man, probably middle class, maybe low class. He was probably married. And at God's commands, against all his cultural instincts, you see, he associates with an African guy who was upper class and who was single. They hardly had anything in common. But what actually unites them is Jesus. Jesus is the one who says go. Jesus is the one about whom they start talking. And it's into the body of Jesus that this guy is baptized. Now, the obvious implication of this is If you believe in Jesus, if you belong to his church, there is absolutely no place anymore for barriers. There's no place for bigotry and tribalism. There's no place for discrimination or excluding others on the basis of age, on the basis of race or gender or class or education or whatever. You see, the gospel is is for all people. And that means that the church of Jesus Christ, is for all people. And so at Night Church here, I I really specifically want to apply this by saying, friends, be careful to avoid cliques. You know what a clique is? I'm not talking about this, right? Uh, I'm talking about a small, close-knit group of people who do not readily allow others to join them. All right, a clique is a small, close-knit group of people who do not uh, readily allow others to join them. There's this um, very important essay by um, the author C.S. Lewis called The Inner Ring, and he's basically talking about cliques. And in this essay, he says that all of us are naturally driven to be on the inside of an inner ring, and we're terrorized by being left outside of it. So what C.S. Lewis is saying is that, uh, to translate, is that our default mode uh, is that we're going to form cliques. He says we're going to naturally form them unless we actually consciously, deliberately get out of our comfort zone and make an effort to break down barriers. 
Uh, now, I just want to clarify, uh, of course, uh, it's great to have close friends, it's great to have bays, you know, uh, it's, it's great uh, to, you know, have close-knit group of people. That's natural and healthy, even in the church. But here's my question. Are your friendship circles so tight, right, that they're exclusive? No one can break in. Are they so tight that you refuse to let others join? Because that's the difference between a friendship circle and an inner ring or a clique. You see, God commanded Philip to get out of his comfort zone, to break barriers down, and to talk to people or someone who was completely different to him. And I think in the church, it's exactly the same. In the church, God commands us uh, to, to get out of our comfort zone because what unites us in the church is not our age, right? It's, it's not, you know, where you sit, that's your little, you know, um, unity. No, it's, it's not our race, it's not our gender, it's not our class. What unites us is Christ. So friends, let me urge you here at Night Church, make an effort to talk to people who you wouldn't normally talk to. Make an effort to invite people to stuff that you wouldn't normally invite uh, them to. Make an effort to listen to people and to uh, people who are different from you and learn from them about how they live the Christian life because there's so much to learn from people who aren't like you. All right, they have such a rich, different understanding of the Christian life. Now, I know that that's uncomfortable, right? I know that that's, you know, it can be super awkward, right? Uh, but what it means, um, I think, that's what it means to belong in God's church. There's unity in the midst of profound diversity. So be careful that we don't form cliques. Like Philip, break barriers down for the sake of Christ and for his church. So that's point number two. And finally, uh, point number three, um, bring others in. All right, now we're going to be talking for this last little point about evangelism. And, you know, I've been a minister for long enough to know that people kind of start to switch off when we start talking about evangelism. They think, oh, I'm not called to be an evangelist. So this doesn't apply to me. Well, um, here I want to suggest that it does. And I want to address three questions that the text answers. So who should evangelize? How should you evangelize? And why should you evangelize? So first, who should evangelize? Right, here in this story we see uh, there's this guy called Philip, and um, Philip is actually not the Apostle Philip that we read about, for example, in this early chapters of John's Gospel, one of the twelve. He's actually Philip, uh, one of the seven, uh, who was appointed to distribute food to the widows in the early church, and you can read about him in Acts chapter 6. So in other words, he's not an ordained minister, right? As far as we know, he has no special, you know, identified gifts of preaching, um, all we know, according to Acts chapter 6, is that like the others, he is full of the Spirit and wisdom. So he's, he's just like, presumably, he's a godly guy and he's great at giving out food hampers or, or whatever uh, the case may be. And yet, he's a total weapon for Jesus. You see, if you want to flick back over, you can even follow along as I'm talking. In the early part of chapter 8, in Acts 8 verse 4, it doesn't say, uh, you know, oh, Philip was called to be an evangelist and that's uh, how he lived his life in answer to that call. No, it just says, you know, after Stephen is stoned, it just says those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And so verse 5, it says, Philip went down to Samaria. So in other words, Philip, he just got out. Uh, as he was going out, he just got on with the job of preaching. Now, in my experience, right, God doesn't call people into extraordinary ministry when those people are just sitting around on the couch. He actually calls people who are already getting stuck in and giving things a go. 
And so it's no surprise to me there in verse uh, 26 that God explicitly now calls Philip. He says, Philip, go, right? Uh, Because Philip already had runs on the board. Let me encourage you, don't wait. Uh, You know, if you're thinking, oh, I'm not sure if I should go out and tell my friends about Jesus, don't wait for an angel to come and say, oh, yeah, okay, go now to some crazy desert road and look for a chariot. No, Um, God has already commanded us, hasn't he, right? If you want want an invitation to go, um, a messenger of God from the Bible, right, God already has said in Matthew 28, Jesus says, go and make disciples. There's your call, friends. So who should evangelize? Well, quite frankly, everyone should. You should, if you love Jesus and if you want others to share with you in your greatest love. So that's, uh, that's little A. Uh, B, how should you evangelize? Well, look with me at verse 30. Philip runs up to the chariot and he approaches a stranger. And when he does so, he's courageous, right? He's not condescending. Uh, he doesn't say something like, you're going to hell uh, unless you listen to what, and believe what I'm about to say. No, he, he actually just, he asks a simple question, right? Verse 30, he, he hears what the guy's reading that's his way in, and then he asks the simple question, do you understand what you're reading? He's gentle, do you see? He's respectful. And verse 31, that question gets Philip an invite to come up and read the Bible with the eunuch. And now let me just say, um, if you ask someone to read the Bible with you, sometimes they're going to say, so maybe they'll say no, maybe they'll say yes, but guess what? They will never say yes if you never ask them. So here the eunuch says, yeah, Okay, um, and, and Philip gets up to, and they read the Bible together. And as they read, questions arise. And so in verse 34, the eunuch asks Philip a question. Who is this person talking about? And so verse 35, that question gives Philip permission right then and there to explain the good news about Jesus. And I think that's a great pattern uh, for us to follow in sharing the good news of Jesus with, with others. Right? How do you evangelize a friend or colleague in a one-to-one context most of the time? Well, let me sum it up. Be courageous to approach. Be courteous to listen. Be clear to invite them to read the Bible with you. And then be Christ-centered when you answer those questions. Okay, so I'll say that again. Be courageous to approach. Be courteous to listen. Be clear to invite them to read the Bible with you. And then be Christ-centered when you answer their questions. It's really that simple. And by the way, one great way uh, to read the Bible one-to-one with someone is this resource. Hands up if you know of this. Hopefully that's three. Wow. Okay. It's like hardly any. Okay, wow. Maybe you're just not putting your hands up. But hopefully you've heard of it because we've been banging on about it uh, here at St. Matt's for some time now. But it's called Word One-to-One and it goes through John's Gospel. All right. And why it's brilliant is because it allows you to read John's Gospel with a friend And you don't even have to think of questions. They don't have to think of questions. And you certainly don't even have to be ready um, with all the answers because not only the questions, but the answers are provided in the margins uh, next to the passage itself. It's so simple and it's so effective to help someone discover who Jesus is and why the message about him is such good news. And if you'd like uh, to hear more about this, if you'd like to know how you can pick up a pack, uh, just on your welcome cards, jot that down, uh, and I'll be in touch with you this week, or you can talk to me after the service. Now, obviously, there's so much more to be said about how we evangelize, but most of the time what I've just said is the basic outline. 
I think, of what you're trying to do. And so third, why should you evangelize? There's a place uh, in 2 Corinthians 5 where the Apostle Paul says, Christ's love compels us, he says, because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. I think what compels us to share the gospel with our friends is not just Jesus' command. What compels us is the love of God demonstrated in the death of Jesus. And it's this death and it's this love, in fact, that we see right here in Isaiah 53 in the center of this passage. You see, from all eternity, the Son of God was, was in the only legitimate inner ring. Uh, the Father loved the Son and the Son loved the Father in the bond of the Spirit from all eternity. And yet their love wasn't exclusive. Out of their great love, God made us to be in a relationship with him. But then we sinned. And so Jesus Christ got out of his comfort zone and he became a man. He lived a perfect life. He deserved to be led like a king to his coronation. And yet, have a look with me. At verse 32, it says he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. When they hit Jesus, like a lamb before its shearer, he was silent. When they mocked him, he did not open his mouth. His trial before the Sanhedrin was an absolute mockery. It was a travesty. He was an innocent man condemned. And so, in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. For all intents and purposes, he was a eunuch. See, he never had children. He never married. And so, who can speak of his descendants, says Isaiah? For all intents and purposes, in fact, he was a foreigner. See, he was expelled from his community. He was put to death outside the city gate, symbolic of expulsion. And it was there he died on a foreigner's cross, a Roman cross. And worst of all, on the cross, for the first time ever in eternity, the Son of God experienced exclusion from the divine inner ring. And he cried out, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why did he do it? Well, you see, Isaiah 53 explains clearly why. In verse 6, not here on our passage, in verse 6 it says, We, we all like sheep have gone astray. It's because of our sins. We deserve to be slaughtered. And I know that that's brutal truth. I know that that is ugly and unpopular truth from the Bible. That's bad news. And yet here's the good news. Isaiah 53 verse 5. It says this. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Now, I have no doubt that this is the good news that Philip explained to the eunuch. This is the gospel. Through Christ's death, we get life. 
when we believe. And when we believe, we belong. And when we belong, our lives are transformed in the context of community to become more and more like Jesus in the awesome power of the Holy Spirit. See, that's the good news about Jesus that Philip explained and that the eunuch believed. And so here's my question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that Christ died to give you life? Because if you don't, I think Christ's love compels you, right? Be brought in. And if you believe it already, Christ's love compels you. Break barriers down, leave your comfort zone, and be careful to avoid clicks. But not only that, I think Christ's love compels you. Bring others in. Leave your comfort zone and be courageous to share the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you that through Jesus you have brought us all the way in. Thank you that we have access to you through Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And thank you that we now belong to the greatest human community, the body of Christ, the church. Father, please help us. We who are once on the outside looking in, please help us to be a people who are on the inside looking out, that we might break barriers down and bring others in. And we ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.